Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the Imago Nutrition Podcast. My name is Mark Glesney. I am here with my esteemed colleague, Danielle Glesney, who happens to be my sister-in-law uh, and our registered dietitian extraordinaire. And this is the podcast where we answer your questions and give you practical nutrition strategies to help you and your family flourish. And so um, kind of twofold today, if you are someone who has ever wondered one or both of these two things is going to be a great episode for you. We've got a, got a twofold question coming uh, at us from a listener. Um, and so speaking of questions, if you have a question, you can always send that to us. Uh, we've recently seen a nice little uptick in people submitting questions, which we're super excited about that. So if you've recently submitted one, just know that we've seen it. We are working it into our editorial calendar, and so we're super excited. But if you've got a question, uh, you can send those to us very easily just by going to our website, imagonutrition.com. That's I-M-A-G-O nutrition.com slash podcast. There's a little form there. You can fill it out, punch it through, and it will send um, your question to us for review as a possible topic. And again, we saw some recent activity in there, which we're excited about. I've got one in particular that's going to be coming up that I'm particularly uh, excited about jumping into because I get to, let's just say I get to respond to a diet trend that is out there right now that uh, is uh, fascinating and frustrating at the same time. And someone asked about it. Uh, it's all the rage on some social media platforms. And so all that's to say just a little bit of a teaser, but all that said, we have a great question today that is coming to us from Lynn in California. And so Danielle, she's got two questions and so um, would love to maybe split this up and uh, kind of share some notes. Maybe you take the first one, I take the second one. Um, and so Lynn in California says, I have two questions. Number one, is there ever a thing as drinking too much water. Okay. And then the second question is, and what's the deal with 10,000 steps a day? So I love this. So we've got kind of some intake, we've got some expenditure, uh, we've got both the intake of water and hydration. Is there too much? And then also, what's the deal with this 10,000 steps a day? And so, Danielle, um, if you don't mind, I'd love for you to kind of walk us through this curious inquiry about can you drink too much water? What are some of your thoughts on that? All right. Well, um, the short answer is yes, um, but it is rare and hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it is possible to drink too much water. And if you do, your kidneys can't get rid of the excess um, and what happens is your blood is diluted. The sodium content is diluted specifically too much and it's called hyponatremia and it's life-threatening. Mm. So you can, so don't enter into water drinking contests. <laughs> uh, none of those sure are that ever exists. good. <laughs> I'm sure that exists somewhere around the world, probably in America, because these are the things we come up with. <laughs> yeah. So yes, it is possible, but it is rare um, and it is life-threatening. So that's the the short answer. Um, obviously, to expand on this a little bit, the, the question that always follows is how much um, water should we have? Um, how do we know if we're getting enough? And your water intake is based on, or your fluid intake is based on a lot of factors, your age, your gender, your activity level, temperature or climate. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're like sick or pregnant or breastfeeding, 
So there are a lot of factors. So there's not just a one size fits all. Um, and I think the best indicator on whether you're getting enough um, hydration is the color of your urine. And I know that's kind of weird to talk about <laughs> to people, but yep, no, if your normal. urine is colorless or light yellow, you are get you are staying adequately adequately hydrated. Yep. Um for me, I like if I have an increase in hunger, I I think about water. Um mm-hmm. so um that's some that's one indicator for me that I'm like, oh yeah, I haven't worked on my water as much today. Um another thing to think about is just like um, these three things. So drink water at each meal, between each meal, before, during, and after exercise. And if you feel thirsty or hungry. So those three things, each meal between, between each meal, before, during, and after exercise. And then the third is if you feel thirsty or hungry. So and the theme there is that really we should be sipping on water continuously. Right? Continuously. Like if yeah. you think about that between meals, in between me- at meals, in between meals, exercise activity, we really should be drinking it, you know, all day long. Right. Right. And we don't just get hydration from our water. You can also include other beverages, ideally calorie-free beverages. So you're not um, getting those calories in that don't help you feel full. Uh, but fruits and veggies also provide a good por- portion of your water. It, um, one source said 20% of your, your fluid intake comes from food. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's pretty cool. Um, there's several different like Institute of Medicine, the U S national academics of science, engineering, and medicine. Um, and then there's another equation based on your weight. So like, once again, they're all saying about the same thing, um, you know, so it rounds out to be like from the Institute of Medicine, they're saying se- uh, 72 ounces or nine cups for women. They're saying 104 ounces or 13 cups for men. And that's um, the exact same as the U.S. National Academics of Science, Engineering and Medicine um, recommendation. They have 92 ounces for women and 124 ounces for men. But they are then they say you know, take out 20% for the food. So then it equals the same amount as the Institute of Medicine recommendation. So that's the ones I saw most often. Um, If you're pregnant, 10 cups of water per day is recommended. If you're breastfeeding, 12 cups of water per day is recommended. Um, And again, this is all hugely um, variable based on your activity level, the temperature, if you're sweating a lot. Um, if you're sick, you know, like you're losing stuff a lot more than normal, then, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to need to replace a lot more. Um, so there's lots of fun equations if you want to get into it. Um, but ideally I just like to circle back to like the color of your urine and, um, sipping all day long. (laughs) Yeah. That's one of the things too. That's what's great about hydration is that you have a, a visual indicator that you can interact with. Right. Multiple times a day, which it's not like you can just sort of like look at your skin and be like, hmm, how's my magnesium today? You know, like, how am I doing on iron? Right. Yes, there are some things down the road that if you're in like severe nutrient deficiencies, you can start to have symptoms. But like with urine, like you can tell right away. So that's, mm-hmm. it's one of the easier, if not the easiest gauges that we actually have as part of our intake 
you know, relative to kind of where our body should be. So, and again, it sounds like an old adage, you know, I remember back in track, you know, like in, in soccer, it was like, you should be peeing clear before the game and all that sort of stuff. But it was true. I mean, that was one of the better things that the high school coaches like actually taught us, you know, which was, you know, you can monitor this and do something mm-hmm. about it. So, right. yeah. And back to the question, I mean, you can drink too much, but to your point, it's, it's pretty hard. You know, we're talking gallons a day, you know, mm-hmm. like really, really pushing it. You're going to start to get headaches, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a fascinating question. You know, can it be too much? Chances are, um, you know, I I've seen this where people either are increasing their water, um, and they're, they're peeing more than often. So more often. So that's when the question comes up, like, Oh, am I having too much? Is my body just can't handle all this. And, and just know that, you know, again, like you said, if you're drinking all day, you know, um, not chugging or pounding water in any given time, but you're, you're sipping on it throughout the day. Uh, you're getting to some of those numbers that you referenced. Your urine is clear or very light yellow. Um, you're feeling good, you know, that's, that's a really healthy way to gauge that. Um, but again, as you said, like, yes, you can, but it's pretty extreme. It's kind of tough to get there consistently. Yeah. They did say that's when it happens is athletes trying to prevent dehydration. So really they're going to be kind of making up for all that loss during the game or what have you, or the practice. So if they're saying extra hydrated, and they're not getting to the point where it's life threatening, but they might be overhydrating a little bit so that when they do that game or practice, they have a little less catch up to do, yeah. basically. Yeah. So, yeah. and I can yeah. tell you just from military experience, there was times where, like, even all the way back to boot camp, like, it's, it's hilarious now, you know, like they would quote unquote, you know, punish us by having us drink canteens and canteens and canteens and canteens of water right before bed. And like, some guys were even like, kind of like throwing up the water and I remember laying down and you could kind of feel the water creeping up your throat. So I had oh to like sit up in my bed. Like it was pretty intense and come to find out, of course, we ended up having a long run the next day. So like the drill instructors were doing that just to hydrate us the night before. Um, but that was pretty intense, but no look, thinking back now and knowing ounces and knowing kind of what we were doing, we still weren't at a, at a danger at that point by any means. And so, again, it, it takes a lot to really get into a, a threatening environment with water right. intake. So, not again, not not to belittle that, not to say that, you know, you don't have to worry about it. But at the same time, it's 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 more extreme than I think most people think. Right. Right. Yeah. You're you're when you're drinking more and you're peeing more then your your body will adjust to that. You, you, yep. you know, not have to be going to the bathroom all day long when you're getting adequate hydration. Yeah. <laughs> so. And that's a great point. Even when we work with our clients and, and, you know, um, whether it's weight loss, uh, muscle gain, athletic performance, you know, various contexts of clients that we have, and we do give them a, a, sometimes a water bowl, you know, it is about ramping that up. It's not about going from, <clears throat> you know, 50 ounces one day to a gallon the next day. You could, I haven't seen too many ramifications other than more frequently going to the bathroom. Um, but like everything, like fiber, like protein, you know, like you want to just slowly ramp this stuff up over time, right? Mm-hmm. You don't yeah. want to do anything in these major swings, which honestly is the American mindset. It's like we wake up on Monday, we're going to do everything different, or it's January 1st, we're going to do everything radically different than we did December 31st. We're just going to, we heard a podcast about water, we're just going to get on uh, two gallons a day. And, and it's just, you went from like little to a ton. And then you're like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. So I think it's wrong. Well, of course, it's because you didn't give your body time to adjust. You didn't do it in a healthy, sustainable way. So 
that's a recurring theme. That will always be a recurring theme on much to do with both nutrition, intake, physical activity. It's about slowly, gradually changing, you know, your habits and, and ultimately your health outcomes over time. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that was a fascinating nice. one. So I guess it's uh, I guess it's my turn on 10,000 steps. So mm -hmm. and Lynn, thanks again for these questions. So again, the first question was, is there ever, ever such thing as drinking too much water, which we've covered? And what is the deal with 10,000 steps a day is a great question. Um, and so I'm going to kind of break my response into three parts, just kind of the history of it, some very new research about it, and then just some practical application uh, for it as well. Okay, so this whole idea of 10,000 steps it actually had a, a starting point. Okay. Um, it was actually part of a marketing campaign for a pedometer ahead of the uh, 1964 Olympics in Tokyo. Okay. So the long story short, the Japanese language, the character that you would use to write 10,000 looks like a person walking sort of. Oh, cool. Okay? And so this was part of a marketing campaign that they used for, again, for this pedometer to track your steps and the number was more a logo or a visual for this 10,000 step than anything else. Okay. So that's kind of interesting. So that's kind of where it actually was born. Now, it, I think, has snowballed. And, and most of us probably didn't hear about this until, you know, the last maybe five, 10 years, 15, maybe. Right. So the inception was back in the 60s. But it sort of has had a rebirth, you know, and, and, you know, like a lot of things, what's old is new again. And it seems to be we're in this heyday or uh, maybe on the other side of the hill of this heyday of 10,000 steps. Uh, so it's a great question because there's a lot of information, a lot of people talking about 10,000 steps. But uh, let's break this down a little bit. So number one, just know that that number is not magic. It's marketing. Okay. Not a magic number. Doesn't mean it's wrong. Doesn't also make it law either. Okay. There's nothing wrong with it right? In and of itself, but it doesn't mean there's anything inherently authoritative about it either, if that makes sense. Okay. So it can be a helpful goal for some people. It's this nice round number, but I'll, I'll tell you, I probably don't hit 10,000 steps a day. Uh, in fact, I can almost guarantee you I don't because I've done days where I've actually tracked it on my pedometer. Um, and it, it takes more walking than I normally do in a day. And we'll talk about that here in a second. So it can be helpful for some people. If you love walking, my wife loves walking. That's predominantly her activity. You know, she likes to walk for, you know, like an hour a day. So will she get to 10,000 steps more often than me? For sure. But I'm doing different modalities and different training um, than her. And so we'll talk about that in a second. So again, if it's a helpful goal for you and it's sustainable, cool. Just know that it's not inherently authoritative. It's not inherently wrong either. Okay. So the cool thing is that there's a recent meta-analysis and this is where we get into a little bit of nerd talk, right? So there was actually a study, I believe it was just August of this year. So August of 2023, we were recording this in September of 2023. And so there was a new meta-analysis that came out called the association between daily step count and all cause and cardiovascular mortality, a meta-analysis. And so if you don't know, a meta-analysis is just a study of studies, okay? So it's, it's uh, the highest form of evidence that we use. There's a hierarchy of scientific evidence used to establish good practice. Meta-analysis is in the top echelon of evidence used to establish good practice because it nothing can mitigate bias entirely, but a meta-analysis mitigates bias on the whole. Why? Because you're studying 
studies as opposed to performing a single study. So you can see across a lot of uh, studies, uh, various analysis, and you can put that into your research tank and then come out with the conclusions based on studies. So this particular meta-analysis looked at 17 studies. Okay, so that is significant, um, as well as over 227,000 participants. That is also quite significant. Okay. So what they did in this meta-analysis, again, the association between daily step count and all-cause and cardiovascular mortality, I encourage you to Google that. Look up the research yourself. Don't take my opinion or this episode as authoritative. You know, you can look at the actual research yourself. So this analysis of 17 studies examined the relationship between a person's daily step count and its effect on all-cause mortality, okay? <clears throat> so... Here's the thing about this. The more steps people took, the lower their mortality rate. Okay. That is a conclusion, but there's some nuance here in research. Okay. So, and, and let me give you some specifics. So in that they saw that longevity. So people's lifespan increased pretty significantly starting at 4,000 steps. Okay. So if you hit 4,000 steps, you start to see what I generally call like a hockey stick effect, right? Like you've got this long, you know, stick, and then it starts to kind of like spike pretty dramatically. That's kind of like what they saw in this research. So 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 steps per day is sort of kind of this low, you know, um, or I should say higher mortality risk. And then when you start hitting 4,000 steps, it starts to really go up in terms of longevity. Okay. And so that goes up to at least 12,000 steps per day. Okay. So 10,000 is within that range that they saw a definite like increased longevity or reduced mortality rate. Okay. Two ways of saying sort of the same thing. However, this is, this is key in research. So some people may say, well, now I have to hit 12,000 steps if I want to have the best chance. <clears throat> but keep in mind that this is an association. This is a correlation. It's not causation. Okay. So those are two very different things. This is like one of those hinge things when you read research. Are we taking a look at a correlation or an actual mechanistic causation? What this study or this analysis did not show was that people that were on a trajectory for all-cause mortality that began taking steps suddenly reduced their mortality, right? So what they saw was that people that did take more steps lived longer, okay? But we can't take these results too literally, right? Because there's a lot of confounding factors, okay? So, um, so again, this is a correlation, not necessarily causation, okay? And keep in mind that there's a possibility for what we call reverse correlation. So let me try to, if I can, I hope I can do this well. Let me try to give you an analogy. If you were to go to um, a, oh man, I'm going to botch this analogy. Let's say you went to a hospital and you tracked steps. Yeah, let's do it this way. You went to a hospital and you tracked steps. And you found that those people on average maybe walked like a thousand steps per day and they had a high mortality rate, right? You would say, oh, see, if, if you get a thousand steps a day, you're likely to die. But the pool from which you were looking at were people that already were at massively increased risk of mortality. Why? Because they were at the hospital, right? As opposed to like going to a highly active, you go to a soccer team, right? You track their steps. You're like, oh, wow. See, they're at 12,000. They, they live long, right? Well, there could be a reverse correlation, which is 
if you're healthier, then you tend to get more steps. And if you're sick or unhealthy, you tend to get less. It's not that because you got less, you ended up sick. It could be that sick people get less and healthy people get more. So it could be a reverse correlation. So that's the first kind of point I'd like to make. So we don't want to take this too literally because there are lots of confounding factors. I'll give you another example. So keep in mind that step count may actually be measuring something else, right? So it might not just be walking. It's the fact that, so for instance, I just played, we just had our fall soccer season opener. So I still play in a competitive soccer league. I just had a game yesterday. And in the 40 minutes that I played in that game, I got a lot of steps, but it wasn't just walking. That was running. That was sprinting. That was agility work. That was bursts, right? Um, and so those steps were more than just steps. They were actual much higher intensity aerobic activity. It wasn't just, quote, steps, even though if I had a pedometer on me, it would have just tracked those as steps, right? Maybe I got 3,000 steps in that game or 4,000. I don't even know how many it would have been because I can't play soccer with a phone on me or a pedometer. So all that's to say, it could be tracking exercise. So that's a confounding issue. So as you see people get higher and higher steps, keep in mind that those steps could be coming from things like exercise. But also keep in mind that exercise can make steps less important. So here's how. Because when I do a strength training exercise, I may go work out for an hour. I get very few steps, very, very few in that hour session. In fact, most of the time, I'm resting two, three minutes in between exercise. I'm just standing around waiting to do my next set, right? Meanwhile, though that exercise, strength training, has been shown to be of massive cardiometabolic benefit. So I'm getting cardio metabolic health benefits from that exercise that is not necessarily resulting in an increase in my steps. Okay. So those are just a couple things to remember the correlation versus causation. The fact that there could be reverse correlation in a study like this or in a meta-analysis, keep in mind that steps could be tracking exercise and keep in mind that certain exercise won't be tracked as steps, but can also be highly, highly beneficial. Okay. So all that said and done, Lynn, you might be thinking, thinking, okay, thanks for the nerd out. Uh, so what do I do with all that? What does this actually mean? All right. So talk about the history. We've talked about recent research, some of the confounding factors, even within that. So here's some practical guidance. If I could, um, you know, kind of lean into this. Number one, I want you to look at your lifestyle holistically. Okay. Don't think that simply adding steps is going to in change entirely your health outcomes, right? So if someone is eating poorly, smoking, drinking a bunch of booze, not sleeping well, not strength training, and suddenly starts getting 10,000 steps a day, are they on a radically different path? Not really, right? Maybe a little bit, I hope. I hope it starts to have a domino effect that they start feeling better and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but keep in mind that you want to take a look at your lifestyle holistically from nutrition I would argue to strength training, to cardiovascular training, to sleep, to activity, to social interaction, to stress management, et cetera, et cetera, right? So you need to take a look at all of those big picture items and take an assessment of those and then figure out, yeah, where, where steps and activity can work in. Number two is I want you to find a sustainable ways to become and or stay active, okay? So what I don't want someone to do in this scenario, which I've seen it, which is... You know, a lot of times with like weight loss clients, be like, 
do I need to start getting 10,000 steps a day? I'm like, do you like walking? You know, they're like, no, I hate it. Then I don't recommend you start doing 10,000. Why? Because you're going to hate it, right? And and this whole process is going to be torment for you. What do you enjoy? Well, I love biking. I would rather you do that. I love strength training. Do that. It doesn't mean steps are not important at all, but it's also not to put them up on this pedestal as being the saving grace that as long as you get your steps, doesn't matter anything else. So find sustainable ways. Again, I like to play soccer. I've also, I think we've talked about on this podcast, I've started refing with my son. And when I'm refing a soccer game, I'm out there running, right? So I'm not doing much walking around my neighborhood like I used to. I even have a weighted vest. I don't think I've put that thing on in months because I, I used to like that, right? But now I'm playing soccer, I'm refing soccer, I'm strength training, right? So I'm getting my activity and my quote steps, I'm getting my cardiovascular training done in ways that don't involve just me with a pedometer walking around the neighborhood, you know, making sure I hit 7,500 steps or 8,000 steps. Okay. So find things that you love to do, hiking, biking, skateboarding, swimming, strength training, playing soccer, playing Frisbee, playing ultimate, you know, disc golf, golfing. I don't, I don't care what you do. I just want you to do more of what you love. And if you can do it till you're age 95, chances are you should be doubling down on that now. Right. Because if I could play soccer and strength train until I'm 95, that's what I'm going to do. My body doesn't let me do those things that long. I'll find something else to do. But it's about doing things that you enjoy. So don't don't hold up 10,000 steps as this idol that you have to attack in order to be healthy. It doesn't mean it's wrong. Some people enjoy it. Some people naturally hit that and don't even track their steps. Other people, it's a laborious process trying to get to 5,000 steps. But the question is, holistically, what are you doing to keep yourself active? Um, and I recommend a blend of strength training, cardiovascular training, and then other. So this is something that with all my, most of my clients, I should say, we build a, a personal activity framework. We call it an activity and rest framework. And that's really what it blends is some sort of st- strength training for a whole host of reasons that I won't go into. Um, some form of cardiovascular training, lots of different ways to do that. Could be low intensity, moderate, could be high, could be lots of different things. And then other forms of activity. Shoot, this could include gardening. This could include a lot of different things, right? So blending strength and cardio and other, I would say, and of course with sleep. Uh, but if you're looking for kind of some guidelines on this, I appreciate the American Heart Association. I appreciate that they recommend at least 150 minutes of moderate intensity aerobic activity per week, okay? So 150 minutes of moderate intensity. A lot of people say, what does that mean? It depends on your conditioning, right? So if you were to do something that slightly got your heart rate elevated, that's low intensity. If you were to do something that sort of got it up above slightly elevated heart rate, then you're probably in the moderate. And then high intensity, of course, is something that you can only do for a short period of time because it's truly high intensity. Okay, so 150 minutes of moderate intensity uh, aerobic activity, which is, I would say it's, it's the majority of what we do uh, in aerobic um, ac- activity. Very little of what we do is truly low intensity or truly high intensity in my experience. Um, or if you do prefer some things like very vigorous, like again, I played 40 minutes of a soccer game. That was, that was vigorous. I play a 7v7, so there's a lot of running. Um, and I'm a mid, so I'm up and down the field. They recommend 75 minutes of vigorous aerobic activity. Okay. So if your heart rate is really kind of cranking, um, you're probably pushing up into that vigorous for, and you want to be doing that for about 75 minutes per week. 
ideally spread out throughout the week. That's a nuance that they often miss. Sometimes people try to kind of accomplish this in like one day. Like, all right, I do cardio Mondays and they go out and do like 150 minutes of cardio, which sounds awful to me, by the way, unless you're kicking a ball. Um, and they try to just kind of stack it in as, as short of time or, you know, as they can. But the guideline is actually to space this stuff out in a sustainable way. So, and then, at, so all that's to say, again, look at your lifestyle holistically, find sustainable ways to become and stay active, blend strength and cardio and other forms of activity that you enjoy. Um, if you're looking for that baseline or guideline, not, I wouldn't think so much about steps. I would think about 150 minutes per week of moderate intensity or 75 minutes per week of um, vigorous intensity aerobic activity. Um, and then I would say this, if I had to kind of give it a cliche marketing ending, because we started the 10,000 step thing on a marketing campaign, I'm a marketer by trade. Uh, so I tried to come up with a little zingy ending here, Danielle, and you can either <laughs> applaud or roll your eyes or some combination of those two things. I would say this, that when it comes to this whole question, just remember that it's more about your heart than your feet. Okay. It's more about your heart than your feet. All right. So again, strength training builds your heart strength without many steps. Okay. And there are some people that do get a, a lot of steps, but they're doing things that are disastrous for their heart health. Okay. So remember that it's more about your heart health than your foot or step count, if that makes sense. I That's like how it. I'm going to sign. I didn't roll my eyes. I like okay, it. Okay. Didn't like roll it. your eyes. Well, all right. <laughs> I live, I live to uh, talk another day. So <laughs> any thoughts on that? I know I went through a ton of stuff uh, and you were graciously quiet and not interrupting no, like I do I, for you. I think it's really interesting. The marketing campaign that it started from that's yeah. incredible that we all it, kind of latched onto that 10,000 number. But and I think it's gotten, you know, it's gotten baked into research. It's gotten baked into circles. It's gotten, so people are starting to study it, right. And find these associations, but mm -hmm. yeah, the actual 10, I mean, it was almost too good to be true, right? It's like, where do you get such a purely round number like that? It had to be mm -hmm. marketers, you know? <laughs> so. So anyways, on that note, um, Lynn, I hope that was helpful for the rest of you listening. I hope that was helpful. Um, so yes, you can drink too much water. Chances are you're not there. Um, and 10,000 steps can be a good goal for people, uh, but it's not, um, but in any way, shape or form, you know, this highly authoritative number, um, continue to look at your health holistically. And of course, let us know how we can help. And so if this podcast has been helpful, if this episode has been helpful, we would love for you to do um, one or more of a few things. One, subscribe to the podcast just so you get notified of upcoming episodes. Two, drop us a review. Let us know how we're doing. And number three, share it with a friend. So if you got a friend that's out there every day just wondering about step count, uh, or wondering about their hydration, um, feel free to send them this episode. It's just one way that we get to hopefully help as many people as possible for free. And so if you're on social media, uh, for better, for worse, we are as well. And so you can follow us across all the major media, uh, social media platforms. We are at Imago Nutrition. Uh, again, I-M-A-G-O, Imago Nutrition. And as always, we'd like to thank Happy Pill, the band, for our theme song, Think About Food. We'll see you next time. Bye.